Hello, we're here at Willabald Gin Distillery in Air, Ontario with uh, one of the owners, Cam Formica. Thanks for joining us today, Cam. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I think the first question is, uh, uh, what is Willabald Distilling? Yeah, so Willabald, it, it's kind of, to be honest, it's a little bit more, it's a much deeper question than that, I think. Um, we, first and foremost, our farm, I guess, uh, and all of our branding, everything that uh, we project, our image, et cetera, is all based off and around that so yeah distilling is a major part of the business and probably the part that we're most well known for but um, that's why right in our name we're willabald farm distillery versus um just being a distillery um the idea being that as time grows and we want to expand as long as it's kind of taking place on the farm it's part of that kind of umbrella that is so the distillery itself i guess um yeah, just that was kind of the initial idea of kind of reconnecting the agricultural roots of the distilling business. Yeah. Because, I mean, much like brewing, you see breweries and distilleries obviously being opened in a lot of commercial plazas and industrial plazas, that type of thing, because the zoning is easy. Yeah. Um, which is awesome, and I totally get it. Um, we were fortunate to, enough to be in this situation um, where we could open it on this farm. So I think that uh, reconnecting the agricultural roots back to the property was why we got into distilling and what it's all yeah. about for us. Huh. It's cool. I think a question I get from, uh, I'm also from the area, so uh, at our brewery when people want to find a cool place to go, I do say go to Willowball just because you guys are definitely interesting and there's not a lot of distilleries in this region. I think the question we get the most about you is, why is it called Willowball? Yeah, yeah, that's a question we obviously get a lot too. It's not, <laughs> uh, it's not a name you hear every day, right? <laughs> So, um, so I have two business partners, Jordan and Nolan. It's their grandfather's middle name. Oh, is it? Yeah, I know. It's a very odd one. It's a very traditional German name, uh, even so much so that when he was a kid, and we're talking like 80 years ago, yeah. uh, he was teased a lot about it. So when he actually immigrated to Canada, he removed it from his driver's license passport. <laughs> so you can imagine his surprise kind of like 80 years later as time has gone on and he's thought, you know, I finally left this name behind. Awful. His grandkids come in. <laughs> And put a 10 by 20 foot yellow sign yep. on the road bearing his name on an entire spirit brand on every, well not every, but on a lot of LCBO shells, behind back bars, something that he's been trying to hide. All over Ontario. Yeah, and, and, the, and the funny part is he actually lives up the road still. So yep. that gigantic sign he drove by is like he's driving by that every day. Oh, it's taking the piss. That's beautiful. But he, you know, he's a good, he was not pumped on it originally, but he, he's obviously warmed to the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So. That, that's a better answer than I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what made you guys open distillery? Because breweries are exploding uh, right now, and you guys jumped on the distillery train instead. So what was the push that said distillery? Um, I think there were several. I think the reason, part of the reason we got into it is the reason why most people don't. The barriers to entry are large, yeah. larger than brewing. Vastly. Um, yeah, the cost for one is a, typically a lot higher mm-hmm. uh, for a similar scale or similar similar size. Yeah. Um, on top of that, the planning and uh, that aspect of it, in terms of zoning, planning, all of that is, is much more complicated because you're temp- essentially making a fuel versus a beer. You're working with obviously all non-flammable, of course, right? So you need like sprinkler systems, fire safety, and all that. Well, you can either prepare. No, so you either it's it's actually based on explosion risk, not fire risk. Huh. So it comes down to you can either prepare for an explosion or you can 
uh, build for one. Mm -hmm. So for in our case, we have to have an ethanol sensor on the floor if it, if it reaches the flammable or explosive limit. We have these fans that essentially evacuate all the air in the distillery in under a minute. <laughs> but things like that make it tough to get into, which yep. creates a little bit of barrier once you're already in it. Mm -hmm. So we saw the opportunity there because I think that it is harder for people to get into this business. So if we could just get over that first step, you know, we would be in a relatively limited company. Because at the time, there was uh, three, two or three craft distilleries in Ontario. So yeah. there's like no one. Still not that many today. No, there's probably about 30. Yeah. All said and done across the province. Um, but, you know, you shift a little bit, shift your focus a little bit south. You look at the U.S. And at the same time, there were about 500. So we said, okay, well... We see the trend building in the U.S. right now. Yes. Um, we tend our market tends to lag a little bit behind them and then follow suit. So yep. we decided, you know, this is obviously a trend. We see an appetite for it, especially with the cocktail boom. Yep. Um, there aren't that many people doing it. Let's let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are uh, like you're famous for the gin. You have the barrel aged gin. You have the rose gin as well. Mm -hmm. What made you guys go for gin? And mm -hmm. for the people who don't know what gin is, what is gin? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, I guess, like, to, before we even take a step back from gin, um, and you may be ready to ask me this in the future, but, um, primarily what we actually produce here is whiskey, not gin. Okay. So, we got into this business for the opportunity in, in which, you know, we just talked about, but then also because of whiskey. Whiskey is kind of, you know, it's a very... Canadian... Very... Consumable, right? Yep. It's something, you know, we're very, uh whiskey and beer culture yep. for the most part um, and that you know whiskey were our favorite spirits and so when we got into it like I'm sure a lot of other distillers you know you get into it to make whiskey now for those of those who don't know whiskey takes or whiskey must be aged for a minimum of three years mm -hmm. in OCAS um, among other, other things. restrictions yeah, yeah, yeah. but that that is kind of the one that usually is the uh, restricting factor for most distillers so you know, you open this business, you spend all this money, all this time planning it out, building it, you're ready to open your doors and you realize, holy, holy shit, I can't actually release anything for a, a minimum of three years yep. and call it whiskey. Yeah. What do I do? Well, we started really taking a look at what other options we had. Again, we really wanted to make sure that what we were doing was tying into the agricultural nature of the property. So we didn't want to do rum. A, we don't drink, we don't really drink rum. But also, too, is you, we don't grow, we can't grow sugar cane here. And we didn't really want to work with grains, the bases that we couldn't physically grow here if we wanted yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Important gave for tequila. Exactly, yeah. We're going to stay away from that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so rum was off the table pretty early on. Um, we don't drink vodka, so vodka was off. And you start to look around at what mainstays are left or what very familiar core mm -hmm. spirits are left. And it's really only gin. So when you start to look into the gin category, it's actually very interesting. So gin... There are a bunch of different subgenres, but in order for something to be gin, it has to be juniper flavored vodka. Yes. Essentially. After that, you can have whatever you want. So yep. the possibilities became endless. And then, you know, there's London Dry Gin, which has restrictions like, you know, it can't be less than 37.5% alcohol, it can't have any sugar added. It has nothing to do with actually being from London. It just, those are kind of yeah, the yeah, restrictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has to be juniper forward. Um, you know, and then there are old Tom gins, which are typically sweetened, can be aged. There are fruited gins, like you're seeing, seeing kind of the Dylan's products. Mm -hmm. uh, they're cherry and strawberry gins, and even from Europe. Uh, you're starting to see uh, Yenavers again, which were like traditionally a Belgian 
Dutch spirit, which was like a mix of, I could classify it, would be vodka, gin, and unaged whiskey, essentially. Yeah. Um, so there's all these sub-genres. So we thought, you know, how can we incorporate our love for whiskey into this gin category? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if three young guys are really into whiskey, you know, what's the major aspect that makes whiskey unique? It's the aging process. So yeah. we just said, okay, what if we applied that? We took a look around at what some other gin producers had done and what they were making. And um, we saw one of two things. They were either very, very oaked to the point where they're almost bordering on a whiskey, yep. or they were very lightly oaked to the point where they were just essentially very, like, essentially London dry gins. Yes. So it's like, okay, well, there's something to be, like, we could probably make something smack dab in the middle in yep. a true barrel-aged gin. So that's kind of why we set it to do it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And how, how long do you keep, like, your mainstay gin? How long is that in the barrels? Six to eight months. And so you're not just kissing the barrel. You're probably no, no, it. six to eight months, and only brand new, freshly charred oak casks. Usually a level four char. Level four char, for people who don't know, is usually physically lit on fire for about fifty to fifty-five seconds. Cool. So really heavy. That's about as heavy as you can go. It's what people, a lot of the coopers and people in the whiskey barrel industry refer to as alligator char because it kind of looks like that skin. Yeah. Um, it imparts a lot of flavor, so if you've ever tried our barrel-aged gin, it's very intense. Yep. Uh, it's not a, it's not apologetic in any way, um, <laughs> but neither are we, so. That works out beautifully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we're talking about uh, juniper and other botanicals that can go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you guys get most of your botanicals from? Do you guys get any off this farm? Yeah, so uh, for our main, like our yellow label gin, the bar- like the barrel-aged and new oak gin, uh, we actually don't. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is um, flavor is always going to kind of lead the way, you know, and I think we stay true to the agricultural nature. Like if you look at gin as a, you know, in terms of like percentages of input, yeah. 99% of what is comprising the gin is grain bases that are all grown in Ontario. So we felt like, okay, well, we've kind of done more than the average. So... If we want to create flavor, we're not going to just be restricted. We're going to, wherever possible, use um, locally grown, yep. but we refuse to compromise quality for that. Yes. Um, so the juniper kind of changes. Again, we're small, so we're buying very small lots of gin botanicals. Yep. You know, so where they come from one batch from four months later when we, you know, buy more juniper will probably yep. be different. Yep. Um part of the issue that you just have to face as a small producer whereas like a producer like Bombay or Tanqueray they're buying two years worth of botanicals at once yeah to help eliminate those kind of variants and flavor as with time yeah so we don't have that luxury so we kind of um get what we get but that being said we specifically like kind of Adriatic Sea uh, juniper. Yep. Um, we do grow juniper in Canada, and we get a lot of asked why we don't grow it ourselves. A juniper takes three years to mature. Okay. The berries. Uh, B, cold climate juniper tends to produce this very um, woody, earthy note. Mm. We're getting a lot of woody notes from the cask already, so we needed something to be bright and yeah. more on the citrusy side. And the Adriatic. So I'm talking like Italian juniper. Uh, I'm talking Croatian juniper, Serbian juniper. Those types yep. of juniper berries tend to be warmer climate, and they tend to be a little bit more citrusy. Oh. Um, so it, it was just kind of out of necessity. And then for the other botanicals, 
they vary. Um, cardamom is a main one for us, traditionally grown in Southeast Asia, now largely produced for the North American market, at least in uh, South America, Peru, I believe. Um, so that's where most of our cardamom comes from. Caraway and coriander seed are both from the U.S. Um, and again, like if we could find a farmer that was willing to grow the quantities we needed here, we would do it. Yeah. Um, and then what am I missing? Uh, angelica root. Again, just the pure quantities we need. The amount of angelica to have to grow on this farm to support one batch. I don't know if we could even do it. So, yeah. Uh, feasibly, anyway. So uh, that's also sourced from the U.S. And uh, I find like now that you're saying that the big guys you get the huge batches of ingredients in and you guys have to go for smaller batches that's kind of more of a crafty look at it like it could be different every time and that's kind of a lot of people these days kind of want that uniqueness yeah yeah i think there's especially when you get to like you know when people buy into the uh, you know the micro brewing micro yeah. stilling they do so understanding that we don't there are luxuries that would we just don't have that yes. large macro producers have you know, and so they realize based on the scale that there might be a little bit of variance. And to be honest, most it's it's mostly welcomed. Yep. One um, reason we chose to age our gin as well was to eliminate that because if we're using brand new casts, which are going to part more or less the same amount of flavor, especially in the early yeah. months and years, you're going to get roughly the same flavor characters. It's really just with extended periods of time that you start to see extreme variances between casks. Mm -hmm. So by using this brand new cast versus used casks, we knew exactly the flavor profile was going to impart every time. And in that short period of time, you don't get a lot of variance between casks. Mm -hmm. So it's a very good way to manage um, quality control and variance between batches. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, being that you guys do barrel aged gin, which in this area for sure is a rarity, uh, uh, when I talk to other brewers, I, you know, all my mates, uh, everyone knows you guys because everyone wants your barrels. Everyone wants little <laughs> Did you expect yeah. you guys to become like Ontario famous? Like, there's people in Toronto I talked to, like, oh yeah, we're selling barrel aged gin. Where's it from? Willabal. Yeah. Of course it's Willabal. Yeah, <laughs> no, you know what? Like, I, it wasn't planned. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Like, now looking back, I understand the appeal. Yeah. When you get to a lot of these really cool, funky Saison, you can add a whole other dimension by pulling off these but gin botanical notes without actually having to physically infuse your saison or your beer with botanicals. Absolutely. You're purely relying on existing flavor inside the oak. And usually when you're doing that, it's, you know, it was an imperial stout cask or it was a wine cask or it was a shared glass or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the flavors are not, don't tend to be as, well, a, intense or dynamic. Mm -hmm. So, and you don't see a lot of barrel-aged gins. So to finish a beer in barrel-aged gin casks when you don't see them very often, mm -hmm. You know, and everyone's trying to find that leg up on each other in terms of what can I, what unique flavors can I add that no one else can add. Yeah. You start looking around for things. I mean, it makes sense. Of course. It didn't, was not strategic. No. At all. I don't know how It's just a very happy that, accident. For sure. Oh, it's, yeah. it's just wild. Yeah. Uh, so I was here last week having a, a drink here <laughs> and one of your staff was telling me you guys are in a lot of restaurants for uh, the cool cocktail market that's taking over. Mm-hmm. How is the LCBO with barrel-aged gin? Because I know uh, I have a lot of issues with the LCBO because yep. A, B, and C, but how are you guys dealing with them? Yeah, the, the, well, it's, it's tough, to be honest. Um, the restaurant market has been very supportive, and you, in the spirit world, it's a little bit different from beer. Typically, you look at, and there are obviously 
exceptions to this rule, but typically you want to look at the restaurant world as more of a marketing platform mm-hmm. rather than a sales outlet. Yes. Um, you know, there your bartenders, your staff, the waiters, waitresses, the those are the people that are going to be spreading the word about your gin for you. And mm-hmm. so the little bit you sell versus retail, I mean, you're not going to get rich off of just selling to retail yeah. or uh, to licensees or bars or restaurants rather, but it is definitely a marketing platform. And so we kind of look at it like that. So luckily, you know, I worked in the industry before and that's, we've had a lot of people willing to get on board partially just from knowing people in the business because everyone knows each other yeah also too just from um i think it just being a unique product that works for and against you at the lcbo because you don't really have that luxury of having people there to spread the word on your product Mm -hmm. you know most of the most people who walk into an lcbo have a pretty good idea of what they're buying especially when it comes to spirits yep spirits you know, like traditionally, I'm not saying it's like this now, traditionally, you know, the beer was very much blue collar and yep. spirits were a little bit more, well, certain spirits were a little bit more white collar. Yep. Um, the spirit world is also a lot more intimidating because it's not like beer or wine where you buy the product and you drink it. Yeah. There's an added step. And so if you're unsure as to what to do with it, it becomes a very intimidating space. And when people are intimidated and uncomfortable, they just want to get in and out as quickly as they can, right? Yeah. And so there's a price boundary as well. Beer is totally. like, a, like chump change for a totally. can and a bottle of gin would be, you know, a bigger investment. Totally. So we're, we have a very unique product. You know, it's a cascade gin. It's the only gin on the shelf that's brown naturally, not from like adding any kind of color, just from spending yep. time in oak. But then at the same people, at the same time, people who are coming in to buy Bombay and Tanqueray, even if they scan by, they're like, why is that whiskey in the gin shelf? Yeah. You know, they don't understand. They kind of have to educate the customer. Yeah, for sure. But how do you do that when you can't be there all the time, yeah. right? And then on the same token, like, more on your point about price point is, yeah, like, you buy a $3 beer and you don't enjoy it, like, you know, you dump it and if you really can't finish it and then you buy something else next time. Yeah. With spirits, you're you're buying, you know, you're spending $45 in our case on a bottle. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, you have 25 ounces still you got to do something with. Yeah. You know, and so now not only have, do you not like this product, it's kind of like taunting you from the shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah <laughs> reminding you of your bad purchase, which, you know, works, it definitely works against you. So I think it's like, it's great that we've created a unique product. I think people try it because of that. And then the other end of that sword is that, or the other side of that sword is, is purely that people don't know what the hell it is or why. And they don't quite understand it. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it, we've been performing well the best in the Kitchener-Waterloo market, obviously, because that's kind of our backyard. Absolutely. Um, and the word is starting to spread, but it just takes time. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And uh, getting away from the gin, uh, let's talk about the area. Your tap room slash restaurant is stunning. I came here during the opening, and then I kind of didn't make it down here for a bit. I came by last week, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, what, what do you guys offer in there? Like, if you guys, if someone came here, what could they get? Yeah. Wow, that's a dog. Yeah, sorry. She's, uh, we're outside on the patio, and our uh, distillery dog, Belveni, is just, uh, she usually just chills. So it's the best part of any brewery distillery I guess, is the right. dog. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, so... We, we've kind of gone through a little bit of a makeover. We realized pretty early on that we we, we needed a little bit more of a draw. Mm-hmm. Beer, like I said, beer is a bit different. When you crack a beer, you just drink it as is, right? So, um, you know, when you open a brewery and then you get your um, your buy-the-glass license, you just start yeah, serving yeah. pints, right? And that's how your product meant to be yep. consumed. For us, when we opened, we weren't even allowed, we were just allowed to serve samples. 
like just neat samples. We weren't yeah. even allowed to mix or do anything. Yeah, because everyone drinks gin straight. Yeah, right? So how do you sell a guest on a drink when you can only serve them in each gin and most people will never drink gin neat in their life? Yeah. So we had that issue. Shortly after that, after we opened and we were dealing with that, um, we were then allowed to sell by the glass, but we were limited. Like we could only have our gin or our products only up to an ounce and a half and we couldn't use anything, anyone else's product. Well, you know, in the cocktail world, most cocktails have more than one spirit in them. Yep. And when you're a gin producer and you're not making anything else at the time because you're focused on whiskey, you're super limited. Like, I only do so many iterations of things before. It's just like, this is the same thing with maybe just hibiscus today instead of chamomile. Like it's, yeah. But it's, in essence, the same cocktail. And it's, it, it gets boring and it's not exciting. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm sure the average guest may not care, but we definitely did. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, we need to do something about this. And we need to have, it needs to be better. We have more to offer than this. So how can we do this? And uh, as a manufacturer, you're able to get something called a Tide House license, which yep. if you have food, then you can have... Essentially, you can have a full bar of yeah. whoever's products you want. Yep. Right. But the obviously the idea is to focus on your own, but you can carry whatever. So we said, okay, well, what do we offer for food? Kicked around some ideas about light snacks, and then we we're like, you know what? We need to just do this right. Yeah. Dive right in. Yeah. So it's like we just hired a full kitchen staff uh, and just started a full restaurant. When I came here last week, I did not expect the quality of the cocktails. Like it was, it was genuinely very impressive. Like you have a whole two slushy machines that was delicious, mm. and then uh, like the fresh uh, botanicals and everything, the fresh garnishes. It's really clean, nice. and uh, I was really impressed. I wish more people knew about this. I've told everyone that comes to Bell City. Uh, it's like if you want a really good cocktail, like Willowball. I know, and, genuinely phenomenal. And you, and you wouldn't think about it. Luckily, like we have a really good staff here, so there's a lot of inspiration to draw off of. Um, just give me one second. I'm gonna just deal with that real quick. No problem. Keeping away all the birds. <laughs> Anyways, trying to catch a um, dog. <laughs> yeah. So we have a really good staff here, and there's a lot of a lot of talents in terms of like creativity, culinary expert, uh, expertise, and then myself being a bartender and uh, my bar like our front of house manager also. We actually bartended at our, my last spot I worked at together. <laughs> so um, we knew we worked together well. And uh, I know it's the last place on earth you'd probably start to get, get a cocktail in Air, Air Ontario or just yeah. on a farm, not even in Air, but outside. But yeah, uh, yeah we, we take a lot of pride in it and we put a lot of effort into it. Cocktails change every four months to kind of to keep season. in line with what's in season. Um, yeah. And uh, can you do... Can you do weddings here? Can you do events here? Like We get asked a lot. We don't really do events. Um, it's The event business is a great business. There's tons of money to be made. The issue is, is that we're very, maybe just stubborn, but we like things a very particular way. Yep. And um, when you get into the event business, you very much just hand over your building or space for whatever anyone else wants. Yeah. And that's just not what we built the space for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built it to be our space for a specific purpose and the idea of having someone else just come in and take it over and have demands that are outside of what we do is just not it it would cause us to compromise on our beliefs which is not what we're in the business of doing of course and then uh, the last two questions where can you find your products yeah lcbo um so we have yeah we have two gins we have the aged gin um that we talked about and then we have the gin aged in niagara red wine cast the pink gin 
Uh, so the Pinchin's in about 200 LCBOs between Thunder Bay and Windsor. Wow. And the Agen is in about 100 to date, I think, ish. Yep. Plus bar- various bars and restaurants, again, between, um, pr- pretty much between London and Ottawa, mm-hmm. primarily. Wow. And then uh, if people want to uh, stay up to date with what's happening here, if any new releases, if that whiskey comes out, do you have any social medias to follow? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Willabald Farms is still around Facebook, and then Drink Willabald on Instagram. Oh, perfect. Well, thanks for sitting down with me today, Cam. Yep. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, I hope more people come down here because this is a, it's a hidden gem out in the middle of air. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one thing that we don't really talk about very often is the is the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like, we haven't even really touched on it, but you know what? We have a full one-acre garden, a full-time gardener who just, who grows produce for the restaurant. Things are coming out literally the morning of for dinner that night. Um, so you know, farm-to-table mentality. Totally, farm-to-table. And we raise our own cattle here and just trying to incorporate more and more as time goes on onto the farm ourselves. We do all of our own butchering, curing of meats, everything. So if you're looking for a good meal in the absolute middle of nowhere, yep. you should definitely come this visit. Is the... <laughs> oh, perfect. Thanks, Cap. Yeah, I appreciate it.